Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us it is more blessed to give than to receive, help us see that in our giving, the gain is always greater than the give. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you had grown up in England in the 1960s, chances are you probably would have heard history described this way. In England during the war, just after the war, it most likely was described as before the war and after the war. World War II left an indelible mark on England as it did the rest of the world. But before the war, in particular in England, they lived, of course, with a certain set of expectations. After the war, the understanding, the expectations were different. Different government and society, different hopes and needs, different opportunities and different dangers. We have a similar reality here in the States, don't we? Growing up in the 21st century now, people tend to talk about history in this way. Pre-9-11 and post-9-11. Before the terrorist attacks of 9-11, we lived with a certain set of expectations. Now, after those attacks, our understandings and expectations are somewhat different. Our government and our society look and act differently. Our needs and hopes have changed. We process our dangers and our opportunities differently. Well, in ancient Israel, history looked much the same way. These were the terms that they used to describe their history. They tended to talk in terms of the present age, the present age, and the age to come. The present age was, see if you can identify this, with this, it was filled with sin and injustice, lying and oppression. God's people suffered, and the wicked seemed to get away with it. But in the age to come, in the age to come, the Israelites believed something was going to happen that would make it different. The ancient prophecies and promises would be fulfilled. And everything would be turned on its head for the good and to the glory of God who Himself had made these promises. Justice and peace would prevail. The wicked would be punished. Righteousness would be restored. And the whole world, the whole world would burst into an endless spring of life. So this morning, as we meet this rich young ruler in the text, this is clearly the kind of thing that he had on his mind. He comes to Jesus, and he falls to his knees, and this is what he says. Good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And my friends, that's, that's the question we all have, isn't it? These world wars won't keep happening, will they? Terrorists and terrorism don't get the last laugh, do they? How can I, how can we be saved from this wicked and perverse reality? And how can we enter this promised age to come? Or as Martin Luther King used to say, justice would roll down like rivers from the mountains. What a compelling image of the new creation in God's kingdom. And so this rich young ruler, he saw something in Jesus, didn't he? Saw something that said maybe Jesus has the answer. Maybe he knew Jesus by reputation. 
Maybe he had heard the expectations, maybe even saw a couple of the miracles along the way. Could he be the one to do it? And if he is, what must I do to be saved? So what does Jesus do? He starts rattling off the Ten Commandments. You you can imagine him grabbing the stone tablets from Charlton Heston and lining them up and presenting them before the rich young ruler. And as he does, he starts to feel pretty good about himself. He even boasts about the good job he's done. I've kept all of these since I was a kid. Don't kill, check. Don't commit adultery, check. Don't steal, don't swear falsely. Don't defraud, check, check, check. Honor your father and your mother, check. I mean, you got, right? Y'all got this. Youth. So the rich young ruler appears to be batting a thousand. It looks like he might be in. It looks like he might, in fact, be saved until Jesus turns everything on its head. And let's listen carefully to what happens here because I think, I think this is the key to the whole story. And not just the key to the whole story, I think this is the key for our story. The Bible says this. The Bible says that Jesus looks at the man. He looks at the man. But He doesn't just look at the man. How does He look at the man? The Bible says He loved the man when He looked at him. And He didn't just look at him and love him. He began to speak into His life. Jesus looked at him and He loved him and then He began to talk to him. He looks He loves, He speaks, and this is what He says. He says, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow Me. And maybe you're asking yourself right now, what kind of love is this? Right? This rich young ruler, maybe he's worked hard for himself. Maybe he's earned his keep. Maybe he's worked for his position and his wealth in society. And you want me to do what? Give it away? Then what, what will I do, right? What will become of me if I do that? What kind of love would ask a man of great means to take everything he has, everything he's worked for, and simply give it away, become poor and follow Jesus? Let me tell you, It's the kind of love that knows this. It's the kind of love that knows that the gain is greater than the give. The gain is greater than the give. Hold on to that idea with me through the rest of this message. Let's remember who it is who's speaking in the story. It's Jesus, right? This is Jesus. Jesus wants to look into our lives because He loves us. And Jesus wants to break down the barriers in our lives that are between us and God. You see, it's, it's not about money per se. This could devolve pretty quickly into a cheap plug for a stewardship campaign. <laughs> but it's not. For this man, it was the money. For us, maybe it is the money. We can't ignore that possibility. But it's so much bigger than that. It's about the obstacle. It's about the thing or the things that might be barriers and barricades and obstacles in our relationship with God. That's what Jesus is after. And so let's take 
a look at Jesus' life. That's exactly what He did for us, right? He broke down the barriers. He took on flesh. He gave everything. He gave His all. He gave His very best. He gave even His own life to the hardwood of the cross. And yet even for Jesus, and precisely because Jesus knew this, the gain is what? Greater than the give. What did He gain? The redemption of the world. The salvation of souls. He gained you and me back from the peril of sin and death. That's the transaction that's happening here. That's what Jesus already knew. The gain is what? Greater than the give. So it makes me wonder, do we have any obstacles in our lives that Jesus wants us to remove? Are there any impediments? Are there any things we've set up between ourselves and God? Is there anything we've put before God? The Bible calls that idolatry. We know that. Are there any barriers in our relationship with God? Things that God wants to get rid of because He's trying to get us ready for the age to come and He wants to get rid of anything in our lives that's between now and then. That's what He's after. That's the heart of the message. If the story ended there, we, we might understand easily why the rich young ruler walked away at this point. In fact, if we had been there, if we had been that guy, at that point we ourselves might have walked away. But you know, I've always kind of wondered. I've always kind of wondered what happened to that rich young ruler. Because we know this is not the end of the story, is it? What do you think happened to that rich young ruler after? What do you think might have happened to him after Jesus' crucifixion? What do you think might have happened to him after Jesus' resurrection? Do you think that he might have been there on that hill as Jesus was being crucified, looking out upon the crowd with love and crying out, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they were doing. Or maybe he was one of the 500 that St. Paul talks about in his epistles who saw Jesus after the resurrection when Jesus again looked at them in his glorified body and he loved them. Or maybe he was one of those that St. John talks about who didn't see and yet believed. Or maybe he came back at Pentecost when Peter stood up and preached that sermon and 3,000 souls were converted. And he asked himself the question, what must I do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. But if any of that, or even something like that, happened in that man's life where Jesus is concerned, I have a hunch. I have a hunch that that rich young ruler looked back at that moment in time. And he looked at that indelible mark that Jesus made upon him when he looked at him and he loved him and he spoke those words into his life. Don't you know he carried that moment with him from that day forward? That was his before and his after, wasn't it? It's powerful to think about. It's impacting me even as I say it to you. But of course, we don't really know. We don't know the end of his story. But we do know the end of Jesus' story. I just told it to you. 
How He died on the hardwood of the cross for us and for our salvation. How He was raised to newness of life that we might have the hope of everlasting life. So here's the question. What about your story? What about your story? Our story isn't over yet. How might your story end? How might my story end? You see the end? Here's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about trust. We're talking about trust. And what is trust if not the result of love? Jesus looked at the man and He loved him. And what He was asking him in return was, Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you take me at my word and trust me? That somehow, some way, even if he couldn't fully see it, Jesus had his best interest at heart. And the question to us is, do we believe? Do we believe that Jesus has our best interest at heart? Are we willing to trust him that somehow, some way, maybe if we ourselves can't see that the Jesus who made us is the Jesus who loves us, and the Jesus who loves us wants to talk to us? about a few things in our lives because He's preparing us for the age to come. So how do we do that? Remember I said there's a key to this story. When Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and as Jesus loved the rich young ruler and when Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler, He did one more thing and this is what I want us to take hold of. He gave the man a promise. Did you catch the promise that Jesus gave the man this morning, the rich young ruler? Something that the man could hold on to, that as the transaction took place of giving, the man would know that the gain is what? Greater than the give. Here's what he said. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, do this, and here's the promise, do this and you will have. You will, not, you might, not you may, not you could but you will. You will have do this and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. So again, the question, will we take Jesus at His word this morning? Will we trust the word of God as it's spoken into our lives? And if that sounds anything like you, two things I would ask you to consider. First, do you have a daily devotion? Do you have time set aside each and every day in your life where you can be with Jesus? Where He can speak His Word to you? Where you can have a conversation with Him about what the barriers might be? I don't know what they are. Heck, sometimes I don't even know what my own are. So that's the point, right? Get with Jesus so He can help us. Find a time, sometime, each and every day to meet Jesus in that way. Second, it means an active role in the church. An active role in the church. If you're coming to worship service, amen. Jesus loves you and He's glad you're here. And yet there are so many more steps we can take. Life groups where we can gather together in community, where we can eat together, where we can study the Word of God together, where we can pray together, love one another, encourage one another, build one another up. You see, here's the thing. We Christians aren't just 
passively absorbing the blows of injustice in this world. No, we're actively working to usher in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus talks about when he says, with persecutions, that it's not easy. But even so, the promises are greater than the persecutions. We can come in through worship. We can grow up through the Word of God in life groups and we can go out in mission and ministry. See, I've learned something along the way. It's really hard for me to expect myself to make that putt in the pressure of the tournament if I haven't spent adequate time on the practice room. Right? Whatever analogy works for you, <laughs> that's the one that works for me. So, so let me give you an image. Let me give you an image of what this can look like in our lives, what this can look like in our church, what this can look like in the community, what this can look like in the world. A sign that we know that we're getting it right here at Christ the Redeemer. The story is told of a missionary. That missionary's name was Eggerston Young. He felt a call to preach the gospel to the Native Americans in Saskatchewan. Has God ever spoken to you about Saskatchewan, by the way? Just curious. So the idea of the fatherhood of God fascinated the people. You see, up until now, as Native Americans, in a sense, they had only seen God in the thunder and in the lightning and in the storms. The fierce and terrifying things that these natural religions think about when they think about God. And so an old chief comes up to Mr. Young and he asks him the question. He said, did I hear you say something about the fatherhood of God in your sermon? Yes, yes I did, replied Mr. Young. You mean to tell me that you believe that God is your father? The chief continued. And therefore that I should believe that God is my father, he asked. Yes, yes that's all true, he replied with hopeful anticipation. And then suddenly, just as if Jesus himself were looking into that conversation and loving those two men, the old chief's face lit up with this radiant glow. And he stuck out his hand and he said to Mr. Young, well then I guess that makes us brothers. I guess that makes us brothers. That's something like it will look like as we do these things. That's the promise of Jesus to all of his followers. And let me end with this sentiment. That's what Peter was saying, right? Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says in reply, Truly, truly, I say to you, listen, church, because he's speaking to us. Everyone who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel, will receive a hundredfold now. In this time. What's he talking about? 80 million members around the world, for example, in our communion. And brothers and sisters of other denominations from around the world. And he says, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come will receive eternal life. And the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What's he saying? I am going to right those wrongs. I'm going to make it right. 
the gain is always greater than the gift. To God be the glory now and forever.